You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. Well, hey there. My name is Kyle Thompson, and I'm the youth minister here at the Winsboro Church of Christ. This week's message is from our Sermon on the Mount series. Our minister, Gerald Elliott, speaks on the Golden Rule. This is something that you may have heard of all of your life. However, I want to challenge you to listen with fresh ears to this timeless message. If you're in a place where you can grab a pen and a piece of paper, go ahead and do so. It will come in handy as Gerald offers you a challenge during this week's message. The scripture reading for this week comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 14. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Well, today is the golden rule. You know, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount over the last several, well, now it's a couple of months. Uh, And in that, we started off with the Beatitudes, these uh, people that are blessed by God. We, we looked at that, and uh, Jesus gave new insights to what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a person of God. It, there were times in the lessons that he would say, you've heard it say this, but I tell you this. And he gave new understanding to some traditional uh, uh, ways of thinking, new insights. Uh, murder begins with hatred. And so he said, if you've already hated, then, then really you've already murdered. He said, if you've lusted, well, you've already committed adultery. And he talked about the importance of the heart and how that plays a significant part in our discipleship. Kingdom people, you and I who follow the Lord, these are new ways of living, new ways of understanding. He said, the marriage vow needs to be permanent. Not something that's casually taken. In fact, he said all oaths should be upheld. That the person of God should be a person of his word who doesn't break his word, doesn't break his promises. He would say that we should not seek vengeance, but instead, well, turn the other cheek. That we should love our enemies like we love ourselves. Kingdom people do good. Not to be seen by, uh, by, uh, not necessarily it's wrong to be seen, but the reason for the doing of good is not to be seen. The reason for doing good is because it's good. And that's what God does. And so to be like God, we do good. And when we pray, we pray not to be seen by others, but because we want to talk with God, because we're His children. A whole new way of living, a whole new way of being. Followers of Jesus will, from time to time, have to make discernments, judgments. But he said, be kind, be understanding, be uh, 
gentle, be graceful, because however you judge, you're going to be judged. And for that matter, God is the only eternal judge. We're just picking fruits, I guess, as someone has said before. And then he said, God is the giver of all, all good things. He knows how to give good gifts. So seek, and you'll find, knock, and it'll be open to you. Then, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. All Scripture is best understood when we look at it in context, and this statement, the golden rule, is found within the Sermon on the Mount, and it's found after a number of teachings about interpersonal relationships, about how kingdom people live and, and and he starts this verse with, well, in the, in, uh, the SV, it's so. In a lot of the other translations, it's therefore. Therefore or so are because of these things that I've already said, however you want people to treat you, then you treat them the same way. Based on these teachings about the kingdom of God, based on these teachings for people of the kingdom, believers, this is the way you ought to live. It's interesting, did a little bit of research on this, and I discovered that the reason the golden rule is called the golden rule, because it's not called that except in the margins of your Bibles, it's not part of the text, is because of uh, the Roman emperor uh, Alexander Servius. He enjoyed this quote from Jesus, and in fact, he, he was emperor from 222 to 235, and he had it engraved on one of the walls in his palace and inlaid with gold. So it became the golden rule because he wrote it in gold in the palace of the emperor. It's one of the most familiar passages of Scripture. It is so often quoted and so often read. But, you know, sometimes that which is very common to us kind of gets overlooked. We think we know all about it. We've heard it so many times, we quit hearing it. It's like a bulletin board. After a, a month or so, or well, after a week or two, nobody sees it anymore. They just kind of walk by because, well, it's been there. Uh, or a picture. After it's been there, well, we, the familiar begins to be overlooked. And so we've heard this, we've quoted it, we've read it, we've talked about it so many times. We think we know everything there is to know about it, and we forget it. We quit practicing. Well, we quit consciously thinking about it, and when we quit consciously thinking about something, we quit practicing it. So here's what I want you to do. You have a program, or at least maybe you got a program. <laughs> uh, uh, if not, take one of the blue cards, and I want you to write down the way you like to be treated. You know, if you like to be treated with knives and daggers and hatred, we'll write that down, but I doubt anybody's going to write that. Most of you are going to write things like respect or love or kindness. Write down the ways you think people, sh that you want to be treated. Some of you are not writing. You may not. You, I might pick these up later on. So, yeah. Uh, write down the ways you want to be treated. Is it with respect? Is it kindness? Lovingly? How do you make your list? You know, Santa Claus might come and check it two or three times. It's not, he's not far away. 
God gives good things. That's the nature of God. Verse 11 says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? The nature of God is to do good. The nature of God is to give good things. So God is good. He doesn't harm his children. He doesn't seek to harm his children. He wants to help his children. God's disciples should be like God. Doing good things. Wanting good things. Giving good. God's gracious. So you and I who want to be like God need to be gracious. So we read in the Sermon on the Mount how God gives good things, how God loves, how God wants us to live and act. So, verse 12, it's therefore, so, this is how, this is what I want you to do. You know, Jesus didn't use the expression, you've heard it said in this verse, but he might have, uh, Luke, uh, Matthew didn't record it, but Jesus still might have said it. Because current thought during the first century was uh, greatly influenced by a, a, a Jewish rabbi named uh, Hillel who had answered the question. It became general knowledge or the general teaching among all Jewish circles that uh, uh, do not do to your fellow man what you hate to have or would hate to have done to you. That's the whole law. The rest is explanation. That was an official Jewish teaching. Don't do to each other what you hate and would not want done to you. That's the whole law. The, everything else is explanation. That's kind of the same thing, but it's negative in sense. And even though Matthew didn't say, you've heard it said this, but I say unto you, Whatever you wish that one would do to you, do to them. He changed that to more proactive. He changed it to mean reaching out and being good. You know, a person can spend his entire life never doing anything bad and still not do anything good. And so, if we only live with each other doing or not doing what we don't want done, if, let me get my tongue straight. If we live our entire life only not doing what we don't want someone to do to us, we may never still have done anything good. We may never still have been kind. We may never still, I, my English here is not too good, but, but we we may still not have done anything good. Discipleship is more than the absence of evil. It's the presence of good. Discipleship means that in our interpersonal relationships, we do more than simply not being bad to each other. We treat others well, we do good. You know, there's a rule called the rule of reciprocity. It's not an actual rule. It's a, uh, a 
principle of life. And what that means is that generally we're going to be treated the way we treat others. So if we treat others with kindness, generally we get kindness in return. If we treat others with harshness, generally we get harshness in return. We receive what we give. If we treat others with hatred, well, expect hatred. If we abuse, well, anybody that has the power is going to abuse. The golden rule is to help me understand how I should treat others. If you don't want to be judged and condemned, then don't judge and condemn. If you don't want people to lie to you, then you need to be honest. If you don't want a friend to break a promise to you, then don't break a promise to him. If something hurts me, then I don't need to do it and hurt somebody else. Since disciples do not want to purposefully hurt their neighbors, we need to understand these truths from God. Most of you probably wrote, and some of you did finally get that pencil out and start writing on your sheet, well, fairness, kindly, respectfully, trustingly, uh, maybe a few other things. Uh, you might still add to the list as we continue to talk this morning. Uh, if you make it too extra long, uh, well, they're going to overlap. And sometimes when we see that list, it's so long, we, I'll never be able to do that. So we don't need to make it just exhaustive. Jesus gave the first and second commands. It was in the song that we sang a moment ago, Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, or great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So how do I love my neighbor as myself? How do I treat others with love? How do I show love? Say the word is one thing, but it may be something entirely different to actually do what the word means. And again, you know, love, oh, familiarity sometimes confuses us. We talk about it all the time. Well, what does it really mean to love? How do I love my neighbor? 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage that we're all fairly familiar with. And usually we hear it in weddings. I hate to break this word to you, and even though I've used it in weddings before, it's not about married love. <laughs> it is not, it was not written for a husband and wife to tell a husband, this is how you ought to love your wife, even though husbands could learn how to love their wives from, from that. Wives seem to already know it, I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> First Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 7 is a passage for Christians and how to treat each other. Love is patient. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. 
or with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The Corinthian church was going through a lot of turmoil and trial and divisions, factions. People were mad at each other and there was conflict. And Paul writes to them and says, this is how you need to treat each other in the kingdom of God. This is how you treat your brother and your sister, fellow believers in the Lord. This is how you treat your neighbor. This is how to love one another. So it's to Christians on how to live in peace and harmony, how to have goodwill among yourselves in this season of goodwill. First of all, love is patient. Now Webster says that patience is bearing pain and trouble without complaining or losing self-control. That means that we don't gripe when somebody's late. We don't gripe at our spouse. We don't gripe at each other. We don't get easily irritated. We, when a brother doesn't agree with us, we don't lash out and, and say, well, you're just wrong. Or if you keep saying that, you're going to go to hell. Or you know, Love is patient. Now, maybe none of us have ever said that word but <laughs> in that way, but uh, we may have thought that that's not love. And if I want you to be patient with me, I have to be patient with you. Because I'm supposed to treat you the way I want to be treated. And love is kind. We treat each other with kindness. That's being cordial and sympathetic. And so if I want you to be cordial to me, I have to be cordial to you. If I want you to be understanding and sympathetic to me, then I have to be understanding and sympathetic to you. And love doesn't envy. Envy is a feeling of, disconnect, a feeling of discontent or ill will because of another's advantages or possessions. In other words, I don't have to say, well, I wish I had I'm, I'm mad at you because you got the new car, or you got the new house, or you got the new suit, or you got the new uh, Nintendo, Nintendo, or the new, uh, what, 72-inch TV, or, or uh, they get even bigger than that now, cover a whole wall. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't get mad at somebody else because of their good fortune, or their successes, or their advantages. When we appreciate the blessings that we have in our lives, then it'll be easier not to resent the blessings that someone else has in their life. When I understand the Beatitudes, I'll see myself as blessed of God, and I will not want what you have to have a sense of being blessed, because I already am blessed. Indeed, all of us are more blessed than any of us deserve. We'll rejoice that the other person has whatever it is that they have. And love doesn't boast. Nobody enjoys a boastful person bragging all the time about what they've got or what they've done or where they've been. Even though we all like to have the compliments, we don't enjoy somebody else always bragging about what they've got. Boast instead of what the Lord has done in your life. And then we can all celebrate and give praise to God. And it might be that somebody in the group uh, might 
still pat you on the back. Let them boast in you and rejoice in you. Love isn't arrogant. The opposite of arrogance is humble. And so love is humble. Uh, none of us enjoy being around that person that's always arrogant. You know, the person that's walking around so much that if they ran through a cloud or a rain shower, he might drown. You know, we don't enjoy arrogance. Uh, if we try to share the good news of Jesus with somebody else with an arrogant attitude, we're going to do more harm than good. If we want to try to help someone learn anything, and we approach that with a sense of arrogance, we're going to do more harm than good. Love doesn't display arrogance. Rude. Now, rudeness is a cultural thing. What's rude in this place may not be rude in that place. To be aware of our circumstances and the people that are around us. Something I always found really unusual when we went to Brazil. Uh, one of the first things people would ask is, how much money do you make? And I'm thinking, it's none of your business how much money I make. You know, in America, to ask somebody how much money they make, that's rude. And we get insulted. We, we get offended if somebody says, how much money do you make? It's none of your business. But here's one of the first questions that was asked there by any and everybody. Cultures are different. Be aware who, you, who you're with. Be aware of your surroundings. Don't be rude. And don't be easily offended because somebody might make a social po-by and, and say something incorrectly or don't wear your feelings on your shirt sleeves. Uh, uh, don't be rude. Love doesn't insist on its own way. There are people that do. They're always demanding. They always know better than anybody else, or at least they think they know better than anybody else. And they're always saying, well, this is the way it ought to be. Uh, and this is the color it ought to be. <laughs> or this is uh, the missions that we ought to take. Or this is love does not insist on its own way. It'll offer its suggestion. It'll talk about what it wants. But it's not egotistical. It wants everybody to have their turn to everybody to feel like that they've been a participant, that they're part of, uh, of the group. And if you're always insisting on your way, and, and you say, it's either my way or the highway, you know, if you insist on your way, you're going to be a lonely person. You're going to be an excluded person, not an included person. Love isn't irritable. Nobody enjoys being with somebody that's always ready to be mad. And I've known some people that were always just, just right there, just ready to get mad about any and everything. And, and you wonder if they, you know, maybe they didn't sleep but ever. And they were constantly irritable. Or maybe they were always hungry. <laughs> Whatever it was, you know, they were constantly ready to be mad about anything. Looking for an excuse. 
Love looks for reason to be glad and rejoice. It's not irritable. Love isn't resentful. Resent is showing bitterness and indignation towards somebody. If I'm going to not have resentment, it means that I've got to have forgiveness. If I'm not going to live in resentment, I must live in forgiveness and grace. There are a lot of people that resent an awful lot of things. But something that, and I don't know if this is, it's just my observation. It may not be scientifically correct, but I believe that it is. Most resentment does not come from an actual wrong suffered, but from a perceived omission. I didn't get this, or I didn't get that. We have a sense of entitlement, or sense that everybody owes me something. And it's not because anybody's trying to hurt us. We just think they are. It's kind of like this story of, uh, of the mailbox and the $1,000. There's this guy I happened to be noticing one day as, as the, uh, a guy just walked up to his mailbox. He didn't know the guy. The guy just stopped. He wasn't a mail person. Uh, just stopped at his mailbox put an envelope in there. He says, I wonder what he's putting in my mailbox. So he goes out there and there's an envelope. And he decided, well, I'll open it up and see what it is. It was a $1,000 bill. Woo! <laughs> uh, wow. Uh, and, but the guy's gone already. And he, th- he says, well, you know, this has got to be a mistake. But he takes it inside, sets it down, uh, doesn't throw the envelope away because he thought sooner or later, I'm going to have to get, you know, something's next day. Just for curiosity's sake, you know, he's there about the same time and guy comes by, same guy, and puts another envelope in his mailbox. <laughs> and he, so he goes out, it's another $1,000 bill. <laughs> And this goes on for two weeks. Now he's got $14,000. And the next day, he's ready, waiting for that guy to get there. And the guy stops across the street and puts that envelope in somebody else's mailbox. And he runs out, what are you doing with my $1,000? It wasn't. He did nothing to get it. But now he's resentful that he didn't get it. Most of the resentment we have is about something that isn't justified. It's a perceived omission. They haven't sought to hurt us. We're just going through life with a sour attitude. Love doesn't rejoice in wrong. Love's not happy if somebody else is in pain. Even if that person hasn't done me any good, or even if that person has actually done me wrong, love doesn't rejoice that they're in pain, that they're having a hard time. Love doesn't say, well, good for him. He deserved it. If we got what we deserve, most of us would be in a lot of pain. We want sympathy from others. We need to give sympathy. Love doesn't rejoice when somebody else is having difficulty or hard time 
or suffering wrong. Instead, love, instead, love rejoices in truth. It's happy when good things happen. It's happy when the truth is there. It rejoices when things are going well. And it celebrates with everybody else and thanks God for all the good things that are happening in a person's life. Love bears all things. That means that you and I have to put up with an awful lot. We bear each other's burdens and we bear each other's uh, uh, whatever it is. We put up with it. Because that what, that's what love does. And if we want people to put up with us, then we've got to put up with them. If we want people to help us carry our load, then we have to help them carry their load. Love believes all things. That means love believes the best. It doesn't mean it believes the gossip. Love believes in each other. Not the worst in each other. Because we want people to believe in us. That's how we want to be treated. We want people to have faith in us. Well, if I want people to have faith in me, I have to have faith in them. Love hopes all things. It hopes that things go well with you. It hopes that your dreams are reached. That your life goes well. It hopes for the good, not the bad. For the success, for the progress. And love endures. It endures all things. It means it doesn't give up. It's long-suffering. It endures puts, putting up with, patiently with, with each other. Day after day after day, after year after year after year. We're not out for revenge. We're not out to judge. We're to endure lovingly. Because that's what love does. Uh, pen? You got a sheet of paper? Or the card? Write the name of somebody on your card that you're going to treat the way you want to be treated. Write somebody's name down. Maybe it's somebody that you've been having trouble with and you need to treat that person a little better. Maybe it's your spouse <laughs> and that you need to rekindle the relationship with. But your assignment this week is to treat that person whose name you write down with the ways that you have written down. So if you've said whoever and you've said respect and kindness and honesty, then treat that person with respect and kindness and honesty and love. If you want to be forgiven, forgive that guy. 
If you want that person to be considerate of you, be considerate of that person. If you want to be included, then you include that person. Take the initiative. Practice the golden rule. Be the person to others that you want them to be to you. Remember Alexander Servius, uh, uh, who most likely gave the golden rule, its name the golden rule? He wanted everybody in the empire to practice this Christian characteristic. But he never became a Christian. He never obeyed Christ. It's kind of tragic that he never truly followed the guy who gave him his motto of life. You see, practicing the golden rule, even though it's really important for every Christian to do so, that's not what makes us a Christian. It's what Christians do, but it doesn't qualify us to be a Christian. It's important for each one of us to practice this. But we become a Christian by having a covenant relationship with Christ. Jesus gave himself on the cross to redeem us. Uh, Titus chapter 2 verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. He saves us by his death on the cross to make us ready to practice the golden rule, to do good works, to do good. He actually died to pay our penalty. You see, we're all guilty of sin. We're all under the penalty of death. But he died for us. He paid the penalty for us. Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. If we don't obey Jesus, that's what the future is. So we need to obey him. And the golden rule is part of that obedience, but it's just part of that obedience. It is only when we believe in Jesus and we come out professing that faith in him, make the decision to be his disciple and then enter into his death, burial, and resurrection, do we become his, officially become his disciple. Peter told those who were sympathetic to the cause there, you know, what do we need to do to follow Jesus? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be united with Jesus in baptism. That's part of our becoming a Christian.
Or Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Remember, it's the death of Jesus that pays the penalty of our sin. Now back to verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so it's this that gives us our new Christian self. It's how we become a child of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So, we may be a Christ seeker. Or we might even be a Christ sympathizer. We might even be, to a certain extent, a Christ follower. But until we have obeyed Jesus in belief and confession baptism... We're not yet a Christian. That may be a hard message to hear. But Jesus wants to save us. He wants to wash us free from sin. He wants us to have new life in Him. And the the way is so clearly given to us in Scripture. He invites all of us to be part of His kingdom. To have forgiveness of sin. I know there are some here this morning that as of yet have not made that step. I'm glad that you are a Christ sympathizer. I'm, I rejoice that you are trying to follow him. Let me encourage you, be part of Jesus. In a moment we're going to sing an invitation song and during that singing if you haven't yet been buried with Jesus in baptism do that today the water's warm there's clothes here towels you can do it this very day before we leave the building it doesn't take but five minutes ten minutes at the most or if you're here struggling and you want us to pray with you about the struggle in your life to, to practice the golden rule, we'll pray with you. There'll be some of our elders will be in the foyer. Some of us here at the front will pray with you. Even some of the uh, uh, women will be in the back. They'll pray with you as well. If you'd prefer a woman, pray with you. Let, let's be standing, in, in fact. And hear the message of Jesus. In Mark chapter 16, he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe shall, will be condemned. Believe in Jesus and be baptized into him for the remission of your sins. And the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, be present and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you. If you enjoyed it, be sure to check out more. As always, we are available 24-7 through our website at winsboro.church.